Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Greasters. I hope you're having an okay week wherever you are listening. It's heading into the depths of winter where I am. It's getting darker and colder and the world as ever is in flux. So I hope where you are today has been a day full of tea and cake and stability in whatever way that's possible. Um, I know I say every week, but just a reminder, I have a book coming out. It's called You Are Not Alone. You can pre-order it now. It is available to buy from January the 17th. It's everything I've learned from the podcast over the past six years um, with quotes from people who've been on and yeah, essays from me about what happened to me and all the things I've learned. And I said, you can pre-order it now, which is an incredibly helpful way to support authors. It all goes towards the first week of sales if you do a pre-order. So it'd be massively, massively appreciated um, if you do that. Thank you so much if you've done so already. And thank you for your wonderful comments about this series so far as ever. It's always been a joy to talk to these incredible people who've been sharing their stories with us. This week, I'm talking to the brilliant musician Tom Rosenthal. Tom has released six albums today. Uh, you may have come across Tom when he, one of his songs, Dinosaurs in Love, went viral in 2020. It was composed by his daughter, Fen. I remember it particularly because it was a very joyful thing that we were all sharing at a time when there wasn't much joy happening in 2020. Uh, his latest album is called Dennis Was a Bird, and he wrote it in 2021 about his father's death. And that's who Tom is talking to me about this week, his dad. So, Tom, who are we remembering today? Who are we remembering? Right, remembering my father. Your his dad. name was Dennis Pym. Dennis Pym? Yes, didn't share all. Oh, an, an immediate twist. Immediate twist. <laughs> immediate twist.com. <laughs> Dennis Pym is just, it's, I love it. It's very Let's 1950s, get straight into it. it. Yeah, he, he, um, I don't share a surname with him, mm. although he is in my middle names, my middle names being Paul Pym. Oh. Now, interestingly enough, Paul Pym is the name of his wife. Oh, my but, God. <laughs> but Paul, I know. Isn't that interesting? That must be the first time that middle name is the name of the wife. But um, his wife has an E on it, and she's French, but people oh. call her Paul. Okay. Because, I don't know, just, yeah. And yeah. that kind of works somehow. <laughs> uh, but yes, immediate twist. 
My father had three children before he had me. Oh, okay. I was a bastardo, <laughs> a classic bastard. Um, yes, so uh, I was a product of an affair that he had oh, with my mother wow. when he was in, well, when he was 50, because I was wow. born when he was 50. So he had three children first, and then he had me. So I think because he had already had the three children, my mother had me quite late. She was 38. So I think she might have gone, well, look, I might just be having the one kid here. She was correct. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't actually know the conversation they would have had, but I think that she just went, look, well, you know, I think he should, he should be a Rosenthal. And uh, so hence why we don't share a name, which is interesting. So that's interesting yeah, twist yeah. number one. Interesting. <laughs> did you, like, when growing up, did you have a lot of contact with him or was it more, and I knew, obviously, it's not a traditional relationship it was not traditional at all uh he would visit i would say every couple of months it felt like or so to me from from this distance we are now i might have been remembering that slightly wrong but Mm -hmm. sometimes also i would go to where he lived which was in suffolk on a kind of small holding kind of uh organic farm type place just a small farm setup basically with vegetable garden and some animals but not lots of animals not like on industrial scale yeah yeah um so he was like a a farmer amongst lots of other things so yeah so sometimes i would go there but i would would, so it'd always be intermittent and like sporadic and kind of not like heavy quantity was he still with his wife at this point just to yes uh he had he had a lot of affairs actually okay of which in which i don't know that to be honest, I don't know that much about other affairs. And I actually don't know if they were necessarily affairs, but more dalliances. Right, what would yeah. you call them? Like uh, <laughs> moments. <Yes. laughs> uh, uh, and that was, you know, that was pretty prevalent throughout most of his like sexual life, I suppose. I think at some point he like definitely like probably wouldn't have had it in him to <laughs> do much more. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, so where am I going to? He retu- he essentially chose to return to his wife after being with my mother. However, another twist okay. in this podcast of Ready Twists. Another twist is that um, he and my mother and my, let's call her my stepmother, Paul, became friends, wow. remained friends, and found a way to kind of make it work wow i don't you know which is really an amazing thing uh, i think they're all they all, all obviously had a part to play mm. uh but i think the lead character was paul because she when it you know when it came down to it chose to embrace what had happened yeah, yeah. rather than uh not maybe it's a classical french thing maybe kind of <laughs> let's just do it you know, kind of let's not, let's not, you know, let's, How not, let's just make the best though, of it. How amazing, for you as a child to not be, as you said, like rejected, cut out, removed, oh, felt like I, you're the bastard, but for someone to be like, yep, you're one, of, you're another child, welcome. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. It. So basically, you know, Paul is, I would say, in doing that, made probably the biggest difference to my life of anyone yeah. that could make a difference. So, oh. I mean, so it's, it's huge. So for me, like, I couldn't be, I couldn't love someone more than I, you know, I've heard so many for that. It's such a generous thing to do, isn't it? That she yeah. didn't have to. And that <clears throat> I guess what you mean is like, yeah, nobody would have judged her if it would have been like, oh, completely. I don't want him around. We'd have been like, fair play. Like, that's, yeah. you know, the Out child of, of an affair. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Who, that's very painful for her. So for her to be that magnam- magnanimous is, uh, yeah, incredible testament to so, her, definitely, and so, her love. So she, exactly. So she got everyone, she was the one that kind of went to all the kids, look, let's do it. You know, they were, mm. they were really, obviously, it must be really bizarre. Suddenly, you, they were like, I don't know, 18, 20 and 22 or wow. kind of ages. Yeah. Suddenly, like, oh, hang on, there's another little kid popping up. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a half-sibling. So really, what she did was just an amazing thing. And uh, she continues to be amazing and a wonderful woman to this wow. very day. Oh and God. she's alive and well. <laughs> um, yeah. So, 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 yeah, so that was kind of, um, yeah, that, that was the big twist, really. But I always still grew up, I was always like a little bit like that odd child at the back. Mm. You know, like no, some people who were, who were around the farm couldn't quite place me. You know, if you were visiting yeah. miles, we're like, who's, well, 
He looks like a member of family, but he's a bit young to be. Yeah, yeah. Is he like a grandchild? Like no one could, you know, he's kind of in between generations. Yeah, um, yeah. Which always felt like a bit odd. And I found myself, I was at one of those ones, you've got two choices when that kind of thing happens. Either you hide away and go, oh God, I hope they don't bring it up or kind of, you know, uh, whatever. And then I thought, actually in the end it's better to take someone to the side and go look here's the situation yeah yeah bosh, 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 bosh. you're probably thinking about it like i'll just tell you and then yeah. we can just get on with it so i chose that and that's probably helped me i don't know be a little bit more direct in my life just generally just in terms of communication and not just leave things just up in the end just let people know what's going on um because sometimes it's awkward some people find things awkward understandably and sometimes he's got to step in there um yeah so it wasn't without its awkward stuff but the core yeah yeah the core was 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 love and so just incredibly lucky because it could have been just disastrous and i just probably i could have been an awful person maybe i am an awful person but <laughs> i could have been really bad no but know? i was just thinking that you said those two options and that's really interesting to me because the two options of a child or you know young person like oh, is to either be ashamed of it as you said, to hide away or to not be. But because the parents weren't ashamed, there was no shame given down to you. So you could go, oh, just so you know, that's my dad. That's not my mum. This is what's happening. <laughs> da, 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 yeah. da. Whereas if it had been hidden away and no one talked about it, or you, then you would have picked up on, oh, this is something wrong. There's something I shouldn't be here. Oh, exactly. And so because she, as you said, yeah. she led with that, then you didn't, you were able to go, oh, hey, guess what? <laughs> unusual situation let me tell you about it so that's yeah. amazing isn't it that you forget that um how quickly kids can pick up on oh god things. kids and... pick up pigs uh, pigs kids <laughs> <laughs> for sit there the bloody pigs um I'm, yeah the kids really do pick up on everything yeah they I know they, they know think, why they is that person know. here they're not, not mm, like you said yeah. how is that their brother when their brother's so old and that's not what b- brothers look like in you know in terms of what is expected, not what is normal. Um, so when did Dennis die? What happened? Yes, he died in 2019. May okay. May 2019. What's that? That's three years? Three years ago, yeah. Just over three years pre, ago. Pre-pandemic. Pre-pandy D. Before. He missed that one. Yeah. He missed all that fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. But it was a long time. It was, a you know, it was one of those deaths... There was a long time coming in a sense. He had Parkinson's okay. uh, from, I don't know, he died at 80, he was 83 when he died. Parkinson's from like early, seven, you know, for 10 years before or wow. so, which was like, I actually think considerably worse than dying is actually, you know, watching someone decline. Mm. I mean, which will happen mm. to so many. I mean, that's such a common experience, really. But uh, I would take... You know, like, um, I mean, obviously it's weird to say, but like, I would take him being struck by lightning at 75 over d- degenerative disease killing him mm. at 83, if I could choose such a thing. Um, and I think, yeah, that that was, it's really tough watching someone just, and especially, so, I mean, of course, this is always going to happen. He was like very, very fit. He was, he was a farmer, yeah. you know, he honestly did look, you know, everyone says this, of course, but, you know, when he was 70, he looked 50. Do you know, he's that yeah, kind of vibe. Yeah. He was incredibly healthy. They just ate their own vegetables the whole time. Um, he would sprint about everywhere. He was an old dad to me, obviously, having him at 50, but he never felt like an old dad because he was yeah. just fit and, you know, with it, and et cetera. So, obviously, to see him go from that to go right down. And, of course, he's living a very physical life. If you live on a farm, yeah, everything yeah. is physical. You get up, you feed the sheep, you do the chickens... You lift a fence, you lift a bale of hay, you move this, you go up and down all day. You know, it's, it's, the terrain is not necessarily like a beautiful flat thing. It's, you know, up, you know, it's kind of, there are hills. You know, it's kind of, and that was his life. So kind of, to then have to live that life, seeing all the things that kind of need to be doing and you, know, you can no longer do, mm. um, was kind of obviously just more painful than, say, if he was just a, some kind of armchair guy. Uh, who watched TV all day, you know? <laughs> what happened to the farm then when he was deteriorating? Did someone oh, have to come and take well, over? luckily there are, well, one, uh, two, two of his children, my siblings, live very close to the farm. Right, okay. Uh, one works on it every day as a carpenter, my brother Dill, who actually is currently beneath me as oh, we speak okay. in the, in the <laughs> with my, because he's staying. <laughs> so um, he's about... Um, 
so yeah, so the farm was, and it was an easy, uh, easy transition. Well, yeah, but he, like you said, he's transition. still having to watch. And I mean, we talk about that um, a lot on the show of like sudden, the phone call in the night, the heart attack versus like you said, the, I guess normally we talk about terminal illness, which is equally, but yeah, there's something, I guess that's a different category, isn't it? With degenerative, it's like you said, it's a longer, slower mm. process. And, and obviously there's no winning. <laughs> like, you know, everybody at the end is the thing where someone you love is dead. But yeah, I think like you said, to, my dad was like that, not a farmer at all, but very fit, very, very, very fit. And yeah. training for an Ironman and then got cancer. And it, it's such a... Um, I think it gives a lot more shock in a way um, because your brain is like, what? They used to do yeah. that. They used to do that. And I guess yeah. you had it on a much slower, like you're watching a film for 10 years, which I watched for two months. Like it's it's a much more extended film is all I can think to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so when did he, what happened just before he died then? Had he got to the point where he was... Yeah, so there's also, sick? I mean, it's interesting yeah. what you say because I think there's also like the people who... <laughs> the beauty of the degenerative I mean so I'm being uh, sarcastic obviously but the, um, no, yeah, yeah. the 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 you also get the call do you know what I mean yeah, like it yeah, doesn't yeah. it's like it's not like you know just an instant a gradual decline from you know it's yeah, not like a, yeah. it's not like a phone battery or, yes, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. <laughs> it's like suddenly it's like and it's like now we're yeah. in that zone and actually the thing about death a bit like birth actually all basically it's the same you know it's so similar in many ways but until it actually happens, you can't really conceive of it. And even if you yeah. think you can conceive of it, you really you can't. can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And even like and you can swear yeah, blind. Exactly. And like, like, no, I've read a book on yeah, it. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, no. I've heard. You know, 170 yeah. grief casts. Like, unless yeah. you're there, doing yeah. it, um, it, it, yeah, you just don't know until you're mm. there. So actually, yeah, there was a kind of like I think Paul needed some rest, and she tried to put him completely wisely in a um a kind of home type place which was local and then from then on i think he basically chose to die i think that was when he was like wow i think he i think he made the decision somehow and there are a few other pointers towards that by the end obviously he was i mean the terrible thing about parkinson's it could be connected to alzheimer's and so you know you you can just basically really lose it i mean yeah. everything's starting to go basically so he lost a lot of weight and then went into hospital in Ipswich. So I have to, that's my, I now have bad Ipswich connotations. Um, <laughs> um, and I think he was there for about five or six weeks. And that was a really interesting time. And we were kind of, it was pretty clear that he wasn't really getting out of there, you know. And then it would be a question of kind of timing. And then we went there as a family um, Luckily, this is the beauty of having a big family. You get to, you know, we could swap in and out. You know, there was his children, but also his children's partners who were like part of the family. And, you know, I would go on a Monday, someone else would go on a Tuesday, you know. So he was like never alone, but we were mixing it up. And so we could also just like live our lives at the same time yeah. as well. And so, yeah, and that was just another experience. It's like waiting for him to die. But also then, of course, the actual experience of it was also so different from just the waiting bit but yeah those are that's such a profound time that those kind of those weeks um he didn't really know what was going on would respond to some things there were like tiny moments of lucidity tiny and i still have one which is which is is the one that's going to stay with me i think which is so so he was the kind of dad who maybe was from an era where really handily we're kind of losing people sorry we're losing this particular trait of people who mm. were born in this era but he never told me that he loved me he couldn't mm. basically he couldn't do it it was like yeah. it was like some kind of mental block i think almost certainly i could 100% guarantee that his parents wouldn't have said it to him yeah, but not, yeah. but that's not but he knew that was he tried to say it in a million different ways and I knew he did. It wasn't an issue. It wasn't a, like a hundred percent. You didn't feel unloved, but you correct, just couldn't correct. say it. Yeah, and I, there yeah. Sometimes I remember him kind of sitting next to me and kind of trying to say it, but not quite managing to say it or just trying to say it a different way. <laughs> I probably should have just interrupted and say, well, dad, do you want to say, but it's, you know, it, it's hard to kind of say that obviously in the moment now, but in hospital, in hospital, I was with him on one of these Mondays and it felt pretty close to the end 
thing times. And remember, so, you know, if I'm there for like seven or eight hours, I feel like, God, moments of lucidity would have just been in, I don't know, say minutes of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. tiny little minutes. The rest of it kind of just, just not quite being there. And, and that just got, those minutes just got fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer, obviously, as we went on. Um, but one particular time, I was just sitting there and obviously, I'd, you know, maybe he was just coming up from sleeping or whatever. And then he obviously woke up, looked at me and just said, I love you, Tom. You know, like, and he never said it. So I feel like... Oh my God, you like, joking. I feel like he had to just get it out. You know, so these things that like were kind of, you know, that obviously this build up, he knew that, oh shit, this is my moment. I think he knew he was done, you know. But like, he, wow. he, basically, he basically seized the time. And then maybe like... 20 seconds later, I don't know whatever happened. I probably, I definitely said I loved him. Then back into nothing. And I kind of like, there's part of me, you know, I'm kind of not, I'm definitely, you know, I th- I'm, I'm the opposite. I, I think I'm the opposite of a fantasist, you know, like I don't believe in yeah, anything, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts or God or, you know, whatever, dreams, whatever. But, but like, but, you know, I think, well, maybe there's a tiny chance I just like somehow just, dreamt it somehow but I'm all I'm 99.9% sure he did say it but um yeah so that was a great moment and that was I mean, a, that's yeah. huge Tom that's it and that's not what I thought you were going to say at all I thought you're gonna be like you know he squeezed my hand and I felt like he meant it you know but to literally be like this is the one thing I've never said to you yeah <laughs> I love you and he got it and out. to get your name as well so yeah. you know like he's not like not with yeah. it like he knows yeah, who yeah. he's talking to yeah that's that was, incredible and that, and that was it and basically I got so little out of it. the only other thing I got out of him is um, I offered him some chocolate. I said, Dad, you want some chocolate? And he said, look, I, I'm, I'm always going to want chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> like that is like, you know, just, just as oh, like, I'm, don't, don't I'm bother, with him on that. Don't bother yeah, asking yeah, yeah. what a stupid question. Yeah, like, well, don't, just, like, I'm in the hospital. Just, just there's hand me no the chocolate. consequence I'm, I'm to this chocolate. Now, so yeah. just like, what's going to be, you know, what's going to make any difference? Put the IV drip in of yeah. hot chocolate, yeah. mate. Get it in. <laughs> I would yeah. I would say exactly the same thing on my deathbed. Which yeah. is like, just make sure there's always some chocolate in my mouth, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I just want constant. Um, oh my God, that's yeah. amazing. And then the dying itself was a whole other thing. Were and you like, there? Oh, I was. Him? And I'll tell right. you something to anyone listening now. If you can be there, move heaven and earth to be there, I would say. As in like, I think there's no more uh, important like... I don't, what's the word? Well, it was always an important moment, but actually it's not just about that. It's about the future. I think Mm. it's about, um, one, if you witness it, you realise it's not as bad as you would think. Yeah. You know? Like I think, you know know that saying, which I think roughly speaks to most of existence where things are, um, you know, uh, not as good as you had hoped or not as bad as you expected. You know, on the whole, most things fall into that category. (laughs) You know, yeah, and very much you think, de- oh my god, a death! Like, how am I gonna, God, watching someone die? Like, and we're obviously protected from all these things all the time, right? We don't. That's we never see anyone die. Like, I suppose, kind of understandably, but also we, you know, we don't really see animals die. We, we're so disconnected from the actual vision. Yeah, of and it. we have such medicalized way yeah. compared to what your dad's parents would have grown up with with people dying at home you know it's not that long ago but yes it's very removed from us these days so so i didn't know much really about it until i saw it um and it was pure fluke again we were on a kind of rotor system we didn't exactly know when he was going to die and it all happened quite quickly i was just so lucky to be there along with like a funny arrangement of like family characters who i say family characters there's big family you know kids and grandkids and whatever just a kind of a mix and yeah, to be there was just a, an incredible honor, and to mm. and to watch it was just amazing. And I don't know, it just helped so much with just being like, yeah, well, that was that, you know. And now it's just on, on we go with whatever this world is. But it's like it's the perfect bridge mm. to the new world without this person. And I think, and I feel so bad for people who don't get to to um do that but I, what i'm saying is if you couldn't choose if you're like oh it's a flight or oh god you know oh it's 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 going to cost you know 100 pounds more maybe i'll just go for the you know i'll go for the funeral or i'll, I'll turn up afterwards or whatever it's not the same like if you can just mm. if you can watch that and you can see you know you can see a spirit leave someone you know mm. you can see the process and if yeah. you can see that it just 
oh, I don't know, it just goes into you and it, and you understand it and you get it. And oddly it becomes like, I don't know, it, in, in seeing what is the biggest deal of all the deals, oddly it becomes less of a big deal. Do you know what I mean? You've seen it, yeah. you, you've, uh, you've understood it and you've no longer have to kind of, uh, you know, wear the anxiety of not seeing it or what that meant to not have been there or... Um, you know, in someone's final moments. And often someone's final moments are not very film-like. You know, it's not like, it, you know, they're in their own world. They're focusing on dying. They're like, mm. off the whole, on the whole, just trying to die. They're going to another, they're just in another place. It isn't like, oh, quick, let me say something really meaningful to each <laughs> member of the family, you know. Yeah, like, um, I know. We, we've said that a lot on the show, like the idea of Hollywood endings, just it doesn't exist, yeah. the, the Hollywood death. And I think, yeah, it's... Um, because obviously some people can't and you said some people get the phone call and uh, they don't get that experience but um and I know some people feel yeah it's, it's such an individual process it's such an individual process of what you can handle and what you want to but yeah I was there when my dad died and I certainly appreciated it even though it was traumatic definitely traumatic but this I've seen th- <laughs> seen three people die and um oh, that's, good. that's a really that's a good number well that's why I do the show <laughs> But um, yeah, the the closest I saw was my dad and I completely know what you're talking about because his spirit left his body and I'm not particularly religious and I don't know, I just mean like who he is left the room mm. and yeah. there was just a body and it, it, it really did, it, it definitely, I think it helps with this idea that someone's really gone. Like that's what yes. seeing it does and that's what I guess generations ago all had you know this that feeling of like maybe they're coming back is like even though I, you know i still had that in some ways but when you've seen a body without breath it's a very profound experience to go i see these things just carry us carry us around and whatever you view as your spirit and your soul or who you are like all of that stuff it's not in your body it isn't it's just yeah. this is just the, the the what they call it the the meat sack exactly <laughs> to, like, to transport who you who your essence is but yeah i remember i remember the clearly so clearly the moment my dad actually died just being like oh oh my god because that body just dis yeah. like it was just nothing it was just so strange yeah. it was such a strange experience to see that and as you said i think it's it's very lucky if you do if you can do that if you can be there and you can afford the flight or be in the place at the right time all of that stuff it yeah. has to come together say hello to a new era of mental health care Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Griefcast. Carrie Ad Lloyd. What happened directly after that moment? Like, yeah, did, great what question. did you do? 
You've done this before because that's <laughs> basically. I was like, I hope she asked me that, and you did. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually, having seen it, mm. I was just right out of there. Wow. Yeah. I was exactly as you said. I was like, you're not here anymore. Mm. I don't really want to be in a room with like just your flesh. It's not yeah, interesting to me. Yeah. You you've now gone to somewhere else, wherever you've gone. You've drifted off, become you know, flown into us or whatever your memory will be and I'm just gonna off I go mm. so that's when I went outside into the like hospital car parky area and then I, yeah, I really cried then actually that was like that was like a kind of like again that was like a really good oh it's weird to say good move I really like obviously I just did what was what was natural but I think I um yeah I was just like bosh dead I probably was out of that room within a minute, two minutes, yeah. I feel. Well, time is funny when that happens. But And then I was just out, probably cried for about 20 minutes, uh, half an hour. And I'm not a big crier, but that was just like an obvious like, release. Um, and again, that helped. And then I felt like, okay, here we go. Like, this is the new, the new journey has begun. And I've kind of been ready for this for like 10 years. Yeah. I, rem- I remember, oddly, something, something I remembered from my dad reacting to his mother dying, actually, because his mother, uh, my grandmother, died when she was like 95, 96, something like that. And she had had my dad quite young, uh, maybe like 23, 24. Anyway, so, so my dad had had to, and di- my dad had, didn't have a fantastic relationship with her. And she lives in Australia. So my dad's Australian, came here in his early 20s. Um, and they didn't have a great relationship. And I think, I think there's a point, you know, where guys get quite, you know, well, actually, any, I don't know. Maybe this is more of a, a, a I don't, maybe I shouldn't gender it, but kind of, you know, when people get older and quite old and they still got a parent around, it's almost like a bit cringe. It's like, <laughs> oh, I've got a parent. Like everyone like could speak of these parents dying and kind of being their own person, you know, by 70. You just think, mm. well, come on. I, like, and, but he still had his mother kind of hanging out. King Charles know. syndrome, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like she's still there. Exactly. And actually, I noticed this a bit similar to, actually, I, that's a really good spot because I, I actually noticed something similar with, with uh, Charles. Um, so yeah, anyway, the, the day that my grandmother, Googs, died, I've never seen him happier. Wow. He was just like, he was just bouncing around. <laughs> he was just like, he was just like, I'm f- basically like, I'm free. You wow. know, like wow. this is like, and he was, and she was in Australia. He was, he was, you know, he missed all the actual death stuff. Yeah. I don't think he, that wouldn't have bothered him at all. Uh, and he just kind of, Ollie went, you know, he was a man that saw things dying all the time. If you're a farmer, you know, things yeah, die, you know, he's yeah. like, he was in, he was involved and in he wasn't oblivious to the world of death. And yeah, and I felt a little bit similar when he died. Not I was, elation is a funny word. Like you know, I suppose it, well, obviously I wasn't happy, but like you know, so much had been released. Obviously, the release of his suffering, yeah, the release of this build-up, the ability just to go look. Well, okay, now we just we've entered this other world now, and now I can just get on with whatever this other world is. This isn't about like moving on because you never move on, but this is about just like starting afresh. And I. And I, there's a lot of in that, there's a lot of kind of satisfaction in knowing that, okay, here's this blank canvas now, Yeah. you know, yeah. like we can paint something, whatever it's going to be, let's do it. And we all start again in a way, you know, again, but you know, we start yeah, a no, new totally. relationships. And, and so many people have said that who've had to care for someone for a long time, like the, the, re- the relief, the relief, you know, it is a relief when someone has been very sick and my dad wasn't ill for a very long time, but I definitely remember feeling... Thank God that's done because it's just watching someone suffer, isn't it? Someone's yeah. in pain in the hospital, all that stuff for the medicine. And especially at that point when medicine's just like sort of seems to be making someone really sick as well. Yeah, like it's like they're just dying. And yeah, there is definitely a, a release and a relief. And like you said, elation isn't quite the right word, but I know what you mean of just like, oh, it's like an out breath, isn't it? It's yeah. like, right. Well, at least that's over. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that's we can close right. the door on that. And now whatever the future is, it doesn't mean that that future is like paved with gold and rainbows. It, it might be painful, but it's that is done. Yeah. And I think that's a really important part of the grief and the death process to 
acknowledge and I think sometimes people feel ashamed of that as well of like oh, I mustn't think that I should just be incredibly it's awful that, that it's happened but I think most people if someone's been ill for a long time and someone's not young you know what I mean I think that's when we can feel those feelings of like it's, it's sudden and someone was too young taken before their time we all know that yeah. feeling of like that's not right but when someone's old and they've been sick for such a long time of course yeah just the feeling of like oh god okay at least we don't yeah. they don't have to go through that I don't have to go through like no one wants to and I'm sure as a farmer, he could appreciate that thing that we have in this country. You know, you wouldn't do that to an animal. Like, he wouldn't let of them course. go on yeah, for that yeah, long yeah, yeah. and visit them all the time. Be like, we're still here despite your yeah. pain. Like, yeah, exactly. No, he really, from it. Yeah, he really wanted to die, I think. And I think just generally, I think, uh, maybe this is a bit of a controversial thing to say, but I say anyway. <laughs> I think a attribute of a well-handled life mm. a life well done maybe is that you know is that after you go things are well set up without you mm. yeah. i don't just mean in like admin you know uh, don't be like yeah, oh yeah. you don't have to do this file <laughs> i mean i mean the proof will be in the pudding yeah about so much of your life and what meant to you when you're gone and how others especially if you've got a, you know a few a, a, a sizable family well, even if you don't, actually, you know, whatever size family you have in the relationships that happen after in the coming together of that family or however they choose to honor you in whatever, any particular way things happen, I think is a revealer of how you lived. Mm. And I think actually one thing my dad managed to do so well is that somehow. And I think it's something you don't necessarily, you know, he wouldn't have sat down with a pen and paper. And go, How do I make sure things are <laughs> harmonious when I'm done, when I'm dead? But yet when he did die the family grew stronger. The, the places that he invested his time in when he was alive were then used by the family more or, you know, it kind of spaces were filled and there wasn't any of this kind of, you know, you hear so much about, you know, stuff about wills or fallouts or whatever. I've not heard a mention of will regarding my dad. I'm not even sure he had one. But the point <laughs> is, which, which again, may be the biggest recipe for a fallout, you would think. Mm. But the point is, none of us, uh, are his children, so all four of us, none of us care about that. We don't, we, don't, we don't care about possessions. We don't care about mo any money. Do you know what I mean? That was, that yeah. was nothing, nothing, none of that was important. And I suppose that was his life as well. That was like what he instilled. So it's kind of, you know, you do set, you know, you, you, by living a certain life and you do set yourself up well for afterwards. So in a sense, I feel like he's helped make the whatever grieving process, whatever that is, kind of smoother, better by the way he lived. Yeah, it's really interesting. <clears throat> I'm really fascinated by that. And I don't think anyone's ever quite put it like that, which is why it's in intriguing me so much. Um, because I do think, yeah, it's hard to talk about, isn't it? Because I'm trying to choose my words <laughs> carefully as well. Yeah. I'm trying to think, because when someone dies, there is a gap. In a, in a dynamic and that could be a family or work or friends and what that gap leaves reveals what they did do you know what I mean so like um, you know when my grandpa died like it, it, a lot of stuff fell apart and I, it wasn't until he died that I thought oh we had a patriarch like I didn't realize just my grandpa and I was like oh he was you know like he, this was the one that everyone listened to and like lots of you know lots of stuff happened after he died which just it just revealed like oh i see like and it also revealed to me i think i can say this of like perhaps how controlling he had been about certain things yes. and you know and so that's what i think you're you're talking about what you're hitting on is like you said that he had taught you all and again it's not like you don't you don't sit down and plan this but it's how you live your life isn't it it's like and children learn through how you live not what Completely. you tell them <laughs> no interest Completely. in what you tell them at That's all it. they watch and if you can live your life in an independent way and and kindness obviously it was such a like a cornerstone of your family for them to bring you in and not adopt you because you were part of the family <laughs> but to like envelop you in that and be like yes you know, he's one of us. That's exact. That's it. Then um, I can see that after his death, there's, like you said, there's not that, like, everyone grab what you can. Like, yeah. what? And I, I think you're right. It, the death of someone can reveal quite a lot of how they were living, which maybe isn't, isn't obvious at first. And I don't think I've talked about this that much. We recently discovered that my dad definitely had ADHD. 
which okay, we didn't know about because it wasn't a thing then. But like, like how did you just, how did you discover? So that? another family member got diagnosed, and then we were able ah. to kind of go, oh, well, if you that's what ADHD together. is, that's yeah. what he had, and um, yeah, and it was a thing. So when he did die, my house became very peaceful because it wasn't peaceful when he was around. And when I say we had a complicated relationship. I think sometimes people find that hard to understand. It's like, we do a podcast about him and you obviously had a lot of grief for him. And I'm like, yeah, because it was so complicated. And mm. because it, he was such a loud person and so chaotic that when he died, we were like, oh my God, it's so calm. <laughs> it's so calm. And what it revealed to me, it said is like, oh, he, the way he lived his life was like really, really loud. And a lot of us hadn't said a lot of things because it was so loud that you couldn't. And that's not to say I don't miss him or I'm not sad. It's just the truth of how someone lived their life. So yeah. I think what you're saying is really interesting that your dad had obviously lived in a way that allowed your siblings to go, well, this is what matters. It matters yeah. that we carry on and we know how to carry on. We we, we don't fall to pieces. That's and it. obviously there's nothing wrong if you do fall to pieces. There can be a million reasons why that happens and it isn't always yeah. your parents. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting that he had left you that legacy, I suppose. Yeah. I, suppose, and he, I mean, he was a huge believer in just kind of... Um, so on this farm, it's a small holding, but so many people pass through it. He believed in like the community of it. Mm. Um, and he did this thing. Uh, they always welcomed people, you know, various strangers, stragglers, anyone passing through. Lots of people would stay. There's, they had this kind of woofers thing, which is willing workers on organic farms. So people would come. They had homeless people come. They basically was like, they looked after a lot of people, loads of people, big communal meals. The whole place was like rooted in community. And that was what was really important to him. And he kind of built a vision along with his wife, Paul, of his, what he believed in. Mm. And I suppose also, so all his children are rooted in community and just doing, figuring stuff out together. So again, when he died, we all figured it out together. And we did like stuff that some people wouldn't do. So for instance, like we buried him on the farmland, had a funeral which didn't involve any officials. We just did it ourselves. So again, that I mean, he would have liked that because it's just he, he was he was a bit he well he was an anarchist, uh, <laughs> and he wrote for an anarchist newspaper, um, and he didn't like you know st state interference and, and institutions and all this kind of stuff. And since then, I would say uh, my relationships with my siblings have like has just never been better. Mm. Again, it's just only grown. And again, that's like part of what he built it's like we've all just got stronger together there's been no you know like not the slightest hint of fallout or this i mean you know lots of things have been you know there's been, you know there's always there's so much potential for those things there's never you know yeah, no, there's yeah. been nothing it's only grown stronger and i've never felt like more part of the family you know i've always felt part of the family but like you know there there was moments where obviously growing up i felt like well how do i quite fit into this you know yeah yeah um so that's how the whole this whole kind of grief process so far has been, I would say, kind of, you know, not to... And it, I, the beauty of grief, it can whack you in the face anytime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, sure. We know that. But, <laughs> but so far, it's been about as smooth as it could be. And I don't think it's been, like, full of, uh, you know, it hasn't been... It's been minimally tragic, you mm. know? Like, it, it's been... There's been so much... There's been so many positives, really. In, in, if, if anything that's amazing that's really amazing I, I feel like we don't we should celebrate that because so much of the grief stories are like and then we all fell apart and <laughs> the silver was taken and my heart isn't you know we we know that narrative and we're quite familiar with that and that's almost what we sort of not seek but like if someone's died and you're like oh what happened or how are the others doing oh is it bad yeah. like that's what we expect so to hear that is so heartwarming to be like great you know we came together as community and he sounds like a very interesting man <laughs> like you're dropping in these things here like oh a farmer australia oh but actually australian so he chose to come over here rose again and writes for an anarchist newspaper you're like oh right okay like so he yeah. was an unusual character which i think um i used to say it and i don't say it anymore because <laughs> some people don't like it but i do feel like you live as you die so like it sounds like the way he lived, you know, then was reflected in his death and reflected in the afterwards. And For my sure. dad was a very loud, chaotic person. And he had a very loud, quick, dramatic, chaotic death. Like, Interesting. And I know yeah. that's not true for everybody, but it, it sort of resonated with me of like, you know, your death is off. It's, it's a bit, you know, it's connected. It's connected to For you. Sure. Like it, it's not separate from you. It's not something that just happens to you. Um, I agree. And obviously I that isn't always the case if you're 
tragically hit by a car like that is not your connected to you um but yeah i think it sounds really like you said to have a grief process that has been smooth and i wanted to talk to you um obviously you're an amazing musician and very brilliant successful musician i say that because it's hard to do people feel like that's that's kind i mean i don't i don't know if that's true but what you just said you make music and you and you do it regularly i feel like that is a success okay yeah (laughs) yeah like that's what i mean because it's hard to like have that be a thing in your life not just a side thing um and i know you you have written about him and you had a song about him yeah, a whole yeah. album even. A oh, whole no, album, yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd just wipe out, just do an album, then it's kind of done, you know? <laughs> the grief like, album, it, done. Get it get it over and done with. Did that, um, has that helped? Do you feel like having the music as an outlet has been helpful? Or do you feel like even without that, it would have been smooth because of this family setup? Yeah, it would have been absolutely fine without yeah. the music, to be honest. But it was something that I'm incredibly lucky to possess. And also I've always believed music is not about part of the reason why I'm slightly successful at music is that I kind of think a lot about other people rather than myself mm. in writing music. A lot of people, and this is totally fine, no, uh, no, uh, no, no, shade. no, <laughs> hate, no, no shade at all. But a lot of people, you know, their musical experience is very inward. You know, they kind of, yeah, yeah. this, you know, they're just, they're playing to a corner or they just kind of, this is important for their own kind of spiritual development or their kind of whatever they need it for, for some kind of therapeutic reasons. Uh, for me, I've always thought, well, look, if people are going to listen to this, I'm going to need to think about them as well. So I kind of, yeah, the album was kind of, I was thinking actually just for other, you know, what would, what would be meaningful to other people? Obviously, this is something that so many people go through or we all have to go through yeah. if, as, long as, you, as long as you stay alive long enough. And I thought, well, how can I kind of add to that world? I thought the best way I could do that was actually just being as honest as I could be. Like an actual genuine, just like writing stuff just with nothing no barrier just going for it and I think it well I've since realized that it has really been well I've got a lot of very kind messages about it being a really beneficial piece of work which is kind of what I hoped it would be but I didn't I didn't need it myself I did it because I thought it'd be a good project I wanted to do and it gave me excuse to do some other things like to research my dad a bit more to ask a few more questions yeah, um, yeah. where sometimes asking questions after is a bit tricky you know like oh can I bring this up with X person can I well if you have got a reason oh by the way uh, Bob I'm writing an album so can you tell me about that do you know what I mean so or can you yeah I do I mean look I've got the podcast I totally yeah, know because people go. go oh you said that about your dad that didn't happen you're like did it not tell me tell me tell me tell me yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did happen because I don't know how to ask you and and yeah. it's funny because you can be a very honest person and an honest artist and you can be someone who's like yes let's communicate and still those things are hard to bring up you know like so that you said to have a reason a creative reason as well that's sort of celebrating someone or discussing them in a you know from a place of love not from criticism (laughs) um can be really joyful so yeah i can totally relate that it gave you an excuse to kind of i guess to spend time with who he was and is for a bit that's it and i and i've I've also also been i'm a kind of a bit of a much to my partner's uh irritation sometimes i'm a kind of solutions person you know like i always think there is things you can do yeah right and i know obviously nothing's going to bring someone back blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> but there are things you can do yeah. to make the, whatever this grieving yeah. process actually better but yeah. sometimes you actually just got to go and do them like yeah. sitting, sit, you know, I often think it's no good just sitting alone thinking about someone. I mean, it could be good. Great. But there are things out there. There's, I guarantee you, to whoever is listening to this, and actually to you too, Carrie, almost <laughs> certainly, there are things out there. There are people out there now with stories about your dad who are holding them and you don't know what they are. Oh, right? yeah. They're, they're, know, they yeah. exist. Now, obviously, oh, it's a bit of a big thing to suddenly go, well, how am I going to go about getting those? But they're there. So there's work we can do if anyone wanted to do it, if anyone wanted to bring new meaning, new life, new windows, whatever, to their experience of their uh, dead relative, whoever it is, then it's there. You can go and do it. So I felt like I then, for this album, I I emailed people who I'd never met, who he'd worked with, you know, really out of the blue. You know, some of them may have not even known he had had died. I said, look, you know, I'm I'm writing an album, looking to research some stuff. Is there anything you can tell me? And I spoke to some people on the phone. I got emails. I got stories. 
you know, I, you know, he was bought, you know, different things would bring him to life. Like, and I think sometimes you've got to go out and do that. It's not going to, it's going to happen just by sitting there and, and hoping it will happen or, oh, yeah. me- okay. will my memory remember something other? Will it kind of twigs and I'll have another thought or la 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 or will I dream of him tonight or her tonight or whatever? So I kind of made a point of, of, of going for it, you know, and I'm, and I'm really glad that I did that. And that was also a big part of write, wanting to write an album, just to, well, look, let's just try and get some extra details. Let's, let's keep this going for a bit. Let's keep this party <laughs> going for a bit longer, you know. What was the best thing you, like, what, or what kind of thing did you get that you were like, oh, that's so good, I'm so glad I asked Yeah, that. I learned a little bit more about his, how he kind of did some of his affairs, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was like, you know, he was, he was, he was a, he was a professor at the London Business School as well. Sorry, I've chuckled in some more bits of Bob's yeah, here. Yeah. Um, but he would teach postgraduates um, about like interpersonal skills in business. So like very serious business school, but he was like the rough guy trying to teach them how to communicate with people. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. the kind of non-businessy skills. Um, but so he would have been around kind of like, I don't know, like younger yeah. you know attractive people here and there and everywhere in London and kind of a way you know so a bit of that a bit of learning how that happened from his other kind of fellow academics um but you know what the most interesting one was actually the one that meant the most to me and again this, this is why this is why you should go and search for these information because it's like sometimes there's something actually really tiny yeah like it doesn't have to be this huge oh he once said this once said this it doesn't have to be this huge profound thing but it could just be small so one of them said um and this is obviously an era pre, so it would be 80s, pre, you know, uh, desktop computers, etc., and probably more typewritery effects or whatever. Um, and he said, when he walked into the offices of the, of the London Business School, or, the, you know, the room where all the academics were, or, you know, writing or preparing their notes or lessons, whatever they may be doing, he would say, everyone in there was always trying to look busy. You know, even if they oh, weren't, yeah, they were yeah, shuffling yeah. papers, writing stuff, you know, tapping around, you know, which I'm sure is kind of, I, I don't know offices very well because I've never really worked in one, but <laughs> I'm guessing it's quite a common office thing. You know, you, you know you're looking, you know, super, a superior might walk around. Yeah, you look, look like, like you know doing, what you're doing. You look like you're doing it in the middle of the park. And he said so often he would go in there and he would just see my dad and my dad was the only person doing this. And he would, but he would just see my dad staring out of the window. <laughs> Just staring out the window, yeah. and just for quite for quite long periods of time while everyone else was kind of thrashing around, and I don't know that there was just something I just that I felt that felt like such a a beautiful insight, even yeah. though it was just so small. Just someone who was like not afraid of just not looking like they didn't know what they were doing, just, just happily just to look out of a window, thinking, didn't not caring what other people thought of him at all. And just sitting with life and thinking about it, you know, and not rushing yeah, it and yeah. all this stuff. And yeah, I mean, yeah, just, again, it's a tiny thing, but I would never have known that no, if I didn't get in touch Tom, with this guy. No, that's beautiful, Tom. That is beautiful because I completely understand. It's so small, but as as the pair, as the child of someone, just to get that a work thing that you never would have seen, you never would have observed them like that. Yeah. And so to have that detail is just like I always say this as well. Like, if people. If you, do, if you know a parent and you know the children, you, you know, have died and you have a story, I'm always like, tell them, like, tell them. Because mm. I, I, to me, they're gold dust. When someone does contact me and be like, oh, by the way, I'm like, oh, like yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Give me the gold dust because, especially because my dad obviously died when I was so young, I'm like desperate for information. And it is like, it's such a beautiful detail that he was just staring out the window. Because <laughs> even now, it's funny, isn't it? Because you say, even without phones and computers, we forget you could make yourself look busy with paper (laughs) but not be doing anything just be like shuffling paper and reading the newspaper and not really reading it and to be someone who's not like you said to not be part of that not rat race but that sort of treadmill I guess and just be like no I'm here I'm just I can always I can really see him (laughs) just staring just thinking yeah it does say a lot about a person doesn't it it does 
I think one of one sad thing about when people die is everyone kind of goes to these kind of key stories. Like, yeah, they might yeah. be funny, and we, and then it's always, it almost feels like that's almost left us on it. Oh, these five really funny stories, and of course <laughs> yeah. they might be like, they might be wonderfully funny, of course, and it's yeah. great to tell them. And people think, oh, okay, that's going to cheer people up. Let's tell the story about how you once did this or that. But actually, most of the time, these stories don't say that much about people. Mm. You know, they, they're they're a funny thing that happened. They might say a little thing about someone, but but actually, the smaller moments probably say way more but they're yeah. kind of harder they're harder to tell and you probably wouldn't sit someone down to kind so, of tell by the way them. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. he looked out windows, windows. Yeah. <laughs> well who doesn't what because, a story guys small yeah, yeah yeah fantastic yeah. like uh, i'll tell my mates down the pub or something you know it's kind of say it's not but i do think you can yeah i just think there's things you can do and i think also th- there's things you can do before people die which i think is yes. also a big one That's a lot it. of people contacted me well they do still because of this album Obviously, I got so many stories of, not store, uh, real life stories, of my parents just died. I don't know what to do. My parents is, is dying. What should yeah. I do? All this stuff, you know, because people just clinging for something or anything. Not that I'm, no one is an expert on this, yeah, obviously, yeah, as you yeah. know, right? It's just everyone does it in their own way. However, I do think there's some beautiful things. So I was so glad. I managed to, one big one for me, I managed to record his voice oh, before... Yeah. Yes. He started losing it. Parkinson's, you kind of, you, your voice just gets weaker and weaker and, and frailer and frailer as you go, go uh, as it progresses. And um, I managed to do an interview with him wow. where I kind of asked him about his life and blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. Uh, about eight or nine years before he died. So that was like, again, afterwards, absolute gold dust. At the time, I, I was kind of doing it. I didn't know quite why I wanted to do it, but I did it and... I couldn't be, you know, because you can forget someone's voice. Oh, People yeah, forget that yeah, totally. so easily. So I would say, yeah, again, if you can, record people's voices, even if it's just a half an hour chat. I mean, doesn't you know, if you want to make it profound, fine, but just to hear their voice is probably enough. Yeah. Like, actually, he did say quite a few profound things in this interview I did with him, but that actually doesn't particularly matter. When I listen to it, it's just nice to hear his voice. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, like, I mean, sure, well, thanks for the profound things, but you've done that <laughs> for, for your from your life. Your life was, was no, the voice a is, profound thing. So it's kind massive, of, yeah. the words don't really matter, but the sound of the voice, someone's voice, is so important to record, and I think people yeah. often regret that. Another one is just to keep everything because, like, you never know what somebody suddenly becomes meaningful yeah. later on. So he wrote letters to me up until a certain point. My mum had lots, kept lots of letters. Thank you very much to my mother for that. Actually, that was like incredibly useful. But like after he died, she's like, "Oh, here's some more letters." He wrote. He never. He didn't have. Never had a computer, so yeah. I never got an email. I never got a text. Yeah, yeah. No, nothing. So that was. There's nothing digital. So I've just got this folder of letters. Yeah, it's just keep everything, basically. Keep everything. Get as much stuff that's going to be useful, not just for you, but then for when you have kids. I want to show when they're interested a bit more in his life, yeah, which yeah. I'm sure they will be, I want to be able to show them stuff, you know, like and as much stuff as I can get. Because at some point I got interested in my grandparents' life. Yes, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. And, the, and, the, and they've basically got nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's such also a change you, yeah. now because you're the same as me, in, weirdly, in that, He's. I describe us as analog grievers, even though ah, he died nice. in 2019. I so like that. My dad died in 1998. Oh, so crikey! Wow, so that really that really is analog. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so we don't have digital stuff. Um, you know, you can put a photo on the computer, but it's everything's from a physical object. And now we're entering this world of digital grieving, where people have normally so much, so much. I actually a, hu- a huge, huge benefit actually of the whole analog thing is as soon as he died, I only wanted one thing, actually, which was just one photograph of him. Yeah. And I straight away went, Mum, where's that one photograph of him? And I tried to explain it to her. And I searched, I thought maybe I had it. I didn't know. It was basically, this is a photograph of him. It's like a really, like, it's basically just, a, just his face. It's just, like, really just dominant face photo, you know? And he's like, there's a kind of, black backdrop so you just all you see really is just the face and that's a face that I had growing up in my room so this is like a this is you know my mother had obviously put you know she's like don't forget your father like here's his picture uh, on your whatever shelf and you know I wouldn't have taken it I wouldn't have seen any reason not to have it there but I wasn't particularly fussed to have yeah, it there because yeah, yeah, this yeah, was someone yeah. that was alive and I never yeah. really looked at that photo and thought oh whatever uh, or you know thought much of it and when when he died, it's right where I was like, "Mum, where is that photo? That like, because nothing is no more important to me now. Like, 
I need to find that photo yeah, yeah. because I know exactly the only thing I really want is that photo by my bedside table now. As in, as in, I won that photo. That's it. I don't, all the other photos don't care. I, I just, I've had this focus, focus on this one photo. And eventually, thankfully, she found it. Like oh, maybe, wow. I don't know, maybe like a couple of months after he died. Yeah. And that was just like a great moment for me. I was just like Aww. so, I was so, so happy about it. Um, and that photo now is just barge dominant. I can just see him when I want to and, you know, have little chats as you do to kind of photos. <laughs> Tom, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I really could, but I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say um, just for the sake of podcast ears will start burning. Um, thank you so much for talking to me about Dennis Dennis Pym. Pleasure. Dennis what Pym. A, what a man! He sounds so interesting, so interesting, and I think uh, yeah, God, the way that you've handled your grief and dealt with it is testament to like his parenting and and him as a person. So that's what an amazing thing to be able to remember him for this hour. Oh, it's been a delight. Thank you for asking me. I'll do it again. <laughs> I'll see you on episode 427. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can find more information about Tom at his website, tomrosenthal.co.uk. That's Tom, T-O-M. Rosenthal is R-O-S-E-N-T-H-A-L. Uh, you can find out where he's gigging and all his music and what's happening if you head there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland. It was recorded remotely in his music room, I suppose. His recording studio, that's the word for music room, and my living room. The artwork was provided by Jade Perkins, stop motion animation by Alice Loveday, and the music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, you are not alone. Thank you.